<laughs> Welcome back to the S3 Magazine podcast. I'm Mike Sanders. That's Jonathan Woolley. Thank you for joining us. Earlier today, Woolley wrote a, a really interesting article about a hilariously small car. If you guys aren't familiar with it, it's called a Honda Beat. Look it up. They are like little clown cars, but they're a freaking blast to drive. And it got us thinking about because everything that we do nowadays goes into the EV side of things. It got us thinking about the fact that maybe this is the direction that EV should be going into. If we really want it to truly be green, we really want it to truly be as efficient as possible, we need to go back to the basics. These things need to be small, lightweight, nimble, fun, cool, quirky, not 9,000 pound Hummers or these 8,000 pound missiles that are flying around all over the place. So, so it kind of got us on a, a big, it was like a two hour long debate we got into about this. Um, Willie, kick it off. Tell us a little bit about what you wrote. Yeah, okay. Um, most of y'all listening know what a Honda Beat is. I'm, I'm going under the assumption that maybe we've picked up a couple stragglers, right? <laughs> that have stumbled on this and that, that don't know what that is. Um, it's a car made in the early 90s. It's a Honda, obviously. The model is a Beat. It was a Japanese market car. They call them like K cars. They're impossibly small. Um, <clears throat> they're basically Japanese city cars, uh, like 600cc type engines, small, less than a liter. Um, five speed. This one's five speed, mid engine. The Honda Beat's a mid engine car. So, like, while it's small, like proportionately, it's badass. It, you mentioned clown car. It doesn't look like a clown car. Like it looks cool. It looks like some little S2000 meets an MR2 kind of thing. It is like all the best parts of like the early 90s rad era stuff. They're a convertible. They're fun as hell to drive, but they are slow, but they don't feel like it, right? Like you feel like the the city is your racetrack. And that's the beauty of how these things worked was you rip them everywhere. The owner's like, I feel like I'm in Mario Kart every time I drive this car. Like that is the spirit animal of this thing. But nobody cares because they're not fast. So like you're not pissing off the neighbors. You're just having more fun than them. Um, and that's kind of what the premise of these cars were. Um, so like you said, everything that we do now, it, it ends up going into EV, and it's not like we intend for that to happen, but it's that we care about automotive culture. And if you truly care about automotive culture and you're being honest about it, and you're not being a sellout, it is really hard not to get irritated with what's going on in the automotive industry right now. So like in the midst of this, this dude Brian's feature, like, I just went, it just went right off the script. And, and yes, because it is something that we've talked about. But, like, follow me here. If the EV thing, you know, you, you always hear about EV being green and being zero emissions and the low carbon footprint. And about half of that is total bullshit. Um, but they've said it so much that you kind of just accept it as truth. But where I was going with this article was it, if green is really what this about, what what this whole EV transition, revolution, whatever is about, why don't the cars resemble this, at least in concept? 
you know, I, I, I know this is a 30 some odd year old car, 30 year old car at this point, but like the concept is there. If we're gonna make EVs, it only makes sense that we make them smaller, that we make them lightweight, that we don't have to use more battery than we need. Um, I think that you can probably make five of these for one EV Hummer, right? So if we're talking about being good to the earth, this is, this is the way to do it, it seems. Seems to me like EVs have become a status symbol um, and kind of this, this little green jewelry that you wear around, you know, to try and tell everybody how good you are. When it's really losing sight of that altogether, it's very quickly doing what Americans do and, and glamorizing stuff. And what, what's the word? I don't know. Fill me in. Just getting gluttonous about things, going overboard, showboating. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, it, it is funny how quickly it took the turn for a while there, you know, when it was mostly just Tesla leading the way. It was, you know, very simple. It was the Model S was kind of the one that everybody went for. They decided to come out with the Model 3, which was a little bit closer to what we're talking about here. It's not hilariously small, but it is more of an Econobox style EV. And then basically, as soon as the floodgates opened and the government mandated the fact that EVs will be taking over in the next, what, 12 years, um, and all the other automotive manufacturers got in and everything got I, I think gluttonous is the word. Gluttonous is the word because every EV that you're seeing come out is big and heavy and has a bigger screen and more electrical components and makes you less of an engaged driver. And everything about it is just, it's like you're reading off of uh, a stat sheet for just massive shit. <laughs> I don't really. I mean, yeah, it's it's. That's what drives me crazy. I'll try and throw up a picture if you're watching this on YouTube and not on the podcast, so at least you can see this. But like, in the rad era, when we say rad era, that is like '80s, early '90s type of stuff. The cars modeled motorsports. You know what I mean? Like, like the people who were making these things, and this is gonna tie a lot of you younger guys up in knots. They were boomers. I know you guys love that word, but like those were the people that were kind of controlling the workforce at this time. They were modeling streetcars after motorsports. Everything was about the senses and the feeling and the escape from reality and the escape from the office. And now it seems like people just want to drive their office. They just want to be connected all the time. You cannot see any new car being mar marketed without them talking about the screen size, the range, the connectivity. It's all they understand. The people that are running the freaking show now don't know what they're talking about. Like they have lost touch with this kind of thing. And back in the early 90s, it was commonplace. That's how we viewed cars. We viewed them a lot more intimately, I guess is the word. I'm struggling for like the right words, but like it was a much more meaningful connection. It was your... Your day starts when you turn the key and the ignition fires. It doesn't start when you get to the office and start gossiping over coffee or whatever. Like, like that is your time. 
and and we've lost that now. We don't have our time anymore. You know what I mean? Like behind the wheel. It, that that's we're we're so distracted behind the wheel. The point that I'm getting at is is if we were going to do EVs in a cool way, and if we were going to do them in a smart way, they would replicate something like this, a modern version of a Honda Beat. It makes a lot of sense. You get the weight down, get the freaking sensors out and the chips out as much as possible. You make an analog driving machine with electric power, something that doesn't have boisterous range, but has enough range to get the job done and run your daily errands. Realistically, you're gonna keep your, your, your family car, your Tahoe, your F-150, whatever it is, for the family trips, for the weekends. But there is no reason. Why do you have to drive a seven-passenger SUV with one passenger in it? That in and of itself, we've lost our way with that. That's not that's not being uh, whatever, green or low emissions or however you want to slice it. It doesn't make sense. Yet we're not going this route. Why? Uh, we talked about this earlier. I kind of have a theory on this, and I think the problem is, with as cool as that car is, it is dangerously small. And I mean that literally. It is dangerously small, not just because it's a small vehicle, but because everything else around it is so dang big. What What was the analogy you said earlier? Um, oh, I, well, I just used the analogy. I don't know how good it is, but it's the best I could come up with. I was like, it, it it's a mouse in a field is safe. It's just a mouse in a field doing its thing with other mice. But then when you throw a stampede of like crazed elephants on that field, it becomes very dangerous for the mouse. So you explained it well. It's not that it's a dangerous car. It's, it's dangerous in today's world. It's dangerous by comparison. Because not only have the cars gotten completely obese, but the people in them are more distracted and worse drivers than they've ever been. I think we can probably say it's not scientific that the drivers right now are probably the worst in the history of the automobile. <laughs> I haven't really thought about that recently, but the, you, you might be right on that. Um, good God, I, I was driving to work today and just pulling my hair out from people that just cannot do simple things like maintaining lane control. I mean, it's so funny, you can tell immediately whenever someone is on their phone, because immediately the car starts to wander. Cars kind of have body language. You know, you can tell when somebody's on their phone, the car starts to wander, the speed limit drop, or not the speed limit, but the speed of the vehicle drops a good 10 to 15 miles an hour. And it just looks like somebody who's wandering through life, not paying attention, because that's exactly what happened. But the difference is she did it in a freaking Tahoe, which is a massive, massive destructive force that's just moving now with someone half-ass paying attention to it, which is extremely dangerous. So, and that's the problem, man, the consumerism, the consumer, I, I don't know who to blame. Do we blame the consumer for demanding these massive vehicles and making it, that's what they all buy? Or do we blame the manufacturers for, you know, making so many of these things? All I know is where I live, which is kind of out in the suburbs, everybody has some sort of big truck or SUV, and basically just every household has a vehicle that would absolutely annihilate a Honda Beat in a fender bender. <laughs> yeah, uh, trust me, dude, when I'm driving my CRX, especially since I became a father, like these are things that run through your mind. You know, you're driving these 
I live out in the country. So two lane roads and 2,500 diesel trucks are going by and you just kind of think about it as they go, whoa, and you're like, holy shit. Like I, I don't stand a chance in this car. And that's the sad thing is that people, eventually you get to a point where you give up and you're just kind of like, man, I mean, this is kind of what I want to do, but damn, I have a responsibility like to family at this point to maybe not do that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, and, and back to the Honda Beat and just small vehicles like this in general, this was the kind of car that back in the day you would give to your 16, 17, 18-year-old as their first vehicle to go out there and experience driving, drive back and forth to school and work, hang out with their friends. And it was kind of perfect because it is an analog machine. There's nothing to distract you. There's only room. It's only a two-seater, so you can't have a bunch of people in the back seat yelling at you. It's great, other than the fact that it's so incredibly, impossibly small. And nowadays, like, I'm a parent, and there's no way I would put one of my kids in this thing, because that's basically just putting them in a coffin nowadays, because I mean, you're out there with the worst drivers in the world. Yeah, you're essentially putting them in a motorcycle with doors. <laughs> Pretty much. You can't fall off of it. <laughs> that's, that's the only way it's safer than a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You said, who do we blame? You know, that's the freaking thing. Like, to quote some 41, we're all to blame. You know what I mean? Like, like if car manufacturers, how did I word this? Hold on. I was, I was saying drivers wouldn't care so much about screen size or their automatic high beams or their adaptive cruise control or autonomy if they would actually look forward to driving the cars that they own. Now, who does that fall on? The manufacturers have steadily for over, let's say two decades now, decade and a half, have been making boring cars. Boring cars that intentionally kind of distract the drivers from the fact that they're boring and do that with tech. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they've started marketing. You just have to look at the car commercials. What they market is how they're thinking. And every car commercial I can think of off the top of my head is always talking about safety features oh my god i would have run over that thing if it wasn't for the camera oh my god i would have hit the car in front of me if it wasn't for the car that saved me like it's all bullshit you know what i mean like they're just marketing shit so it's it, it's it's funny to me how they drive how they they market it like i see those commercials and i have just this this uh voice going in my head of almost will ferrell just being like are you terrible at driving? Boy, do we have the car for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that, that over the top, like, oh my God, I almost <laughs> killed that whole family. Thank goodness my Chevy Cruze hit the brakes for me. You know, like, it's just, it's yeah. ridiculous, man. My right foot doesn't work when I'm emailing my friends. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just a domino effect. Look, if they would, Build cars that would engage the drivers and then market them in such a way to make people realize that they want that. You wouldn't need 2,000 chips and sensors in a car, in an EV, to try and, and, and do the driving for them because the drivers would want to do that. And if you could eliminate the complications and the sensors, the cars would be less expensive 
they would be, especially right now in the post-corona era, more available, and they wouldn't become obsolete as quickly. I mean, we're talking about a 30-year-old Honda Beat right now that still makes as much sense, minus its small size today, as it ever did. It's economical, it's affordable, it gets killer MPGs, and it's fun as hell. And we've lost that due to our own stupidity, just because we are overcomplicating the shit out of cars, creating worse drivers, creating more delays, creating more government regulation of the things. It's like everything is is bad here. Everything is working against us, and it's just making the price of these things go up. So in this EV revolution that we're having, instead of having cars that kind of make sense from a green perspective and are kind of minimalistic and elemental, they're over the top. They're six figures. Americans are trying to get six to 10-year loan mortgage payments on these things now, $650 and up. I think 15% of car loans are now over $1,000. And we're not talking about Ferraris. We're talking about GMCs. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we're off our freaking rocker here, dude. I'm just going through some of this article. I wish I could just read it to y'all, but it would be lame. Um, basically, I said, getting kind of to what I was just saying, this is a mess of our own creation because we keep consuming more and more and more, and we want bigger and bigger, and we want all the latest gizmos and gadgets, and then we look for technology to be the savior of our overconsumption. That's what we do. We go, ha! Well, we've really screwed up. These cars are, um, uh, you know, very heavy and, and very whatever. Let's use technology to assist us so that we don't have to look behind us when we back up anymore. Well, and the worst part about it is all these sensors and features are, are, are the safety blanket that tucks you in at night and makes you feel good about it. Oh, I don't need to be good at this anymore. I don't have to do that. I don't have to know how to back up a trailer anymore. The car does it for me. I don't have to flick my finger to turn the high beams on and off because the car does it for me. These are all failure points. Have you noticed like how many of these sensors do not accurately work all the time? Like I know you've driven a lot of new cars that automatic. Um, first of all, like just like lane keep assist drives me insane on back country roads it just ping pongs you back and forth no matter what you do because the sensor is just kind of freaking out the whole time because the lines are too close but the one that drives me the most nuts is uh automatic high beams it never freaking works you end up just blinding everybody else and just going sorry man the car was supposed to do it for me <laughs> yeah i literally <laughs> lose my religion like nothing else with lane keep assist and again we get press cars. So you jump in these cars and you don't really know how they work because you haven't spent seven hours in the driveway with the thing idling, killing the ozone layer while you try and figure out all the different maps of this thing. So you get in the car. And again, I live out in the country and lanes are kind of just the general guidance. You just drive where you want to and the thing's going and like pulling me back. It's the most infuriating thing ever and you can't in cars now it's not like there's one button turn that shit off no it's like a map that you have to get through different screens and can we just say that automatic high beams don't freaking work they don't work even in the nicest cars 
they don't work for shit. Like they yeah. are constantly going, oh no, gone, oh, on. And meanwhile, this car, and the cars are coming at you, flipping their lights, like, what the hell, dude? My brights aren't on. And I'm like, I know, my car's stupid. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it, it's the, if you, as the pilot of a motor vehicle, cannot do this, if you can't see me, I'm flipping my finger. <laughs> if you can't hold a steering wheel and then flip your little, index finger and your middle finger to turn on your brights. You don't need to be driving. If your brain can't go, it's a little bit darker than I want it to be and I should make it a little bit brighter. Let me flick my finger. Like, then you don't, this isn't for you. And the cool thing, we already have autonomous cars. It's called a fucking bus. It's called an Uber. Use it, take them. If you don't want to drive, those are there for you. But some of us do want to drive and it gets really annoying when we're getting stifled because of y'all idiots. Not necessarily anyone in particular, but just the blanket, y'all idiots are keeping us from excelling to our to our best potential here. Yeah, that's true. That, and that, that's a whole nother debate for another day is that we are not being our best selves. I hate to be that, that rah-rah champion guy, but I do think that there's an art to being good at things. And uh, I kind of see society going down that path of the movie Wally right now, where we all just kind of become blundering idiots who get, you know, we are, you, we are like a crappy vacation. That, that's not are, good. You're not really good at anything. You're, there's no more championships, no more true trophies. You just technology conquered everything and does everything for you. I mean, just in the terms of, of the high beams, like we were talking about, it, it's essentially turned everybody into the worst BMW drivers that we always make fun of. That's well, it's what it's really done, you know? I mean, like, I don't know, you know, air conditioning. That's technology that was like, oh, freaking sweet. You're telling me I don't have to sweat my balls off before I go to a wedding because the car will cool me down? Like, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of something else, you know? I mean, even automatic windows. But for real? So, like, I can roll down all four of the windows without having to, like, pull over and get out and roll up the window. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I'll take that. But now mm -hmm. we're like, do you want your car's brights to come on automatically via a network of 56 sensors and chips that compute from the front grill to the driving? <laughs> it's just like... I can just flip my finger, man. Like, I don't need that shit. Can I yeah. just get like, I don't know, like a $25,000 car without that stuff? No, yeah. it's 50. But you don't have to flip your finger anymore, you know? Same thing, with, same thing with windshield wipers. The same way, man. I, and it drives my wife insane, but I like to completely control the windshield wiper manually, myself. It's in the Maybe. name. Man. Because you're a man and you can control your windshield wiper and when it wipes, you can make that decision of, yes, I need to see a little bit better. I'm going to flip my finger and the wiper is going to wipe. I can't stand those cars that get a little drop of water on there and immediately just go, beep, boop. Like, I'm like, what the? I didn't need that. What are you doing? It becomes a completely distracting game. No longer am I paying attention to driving. All I'm doing is watching the rain on the window and wondering when it's going to wipe. Like, 
my internal monologue goes like this. Is it going to do it yet? Is it going to? Ah, there it is. There it is. It wipes. Oh, wait. Hold on. Is it going to do it? Is it going is it, is it to do it? Oh, there it is. And you're not like, it's the dumbest thing, man. It doesn't, it doesn't actually take anything off of your plate. Like turning the wiper on when you need it or just putting it on intermittent is like very easy. But an automatic wiper actually takes like more brain frequency to think about when it's going to wipe than to just completely involuntarily go boop, boop, wipe. You know what I mean? Like it's it's technology for the sake of technology, but it's not helping anybody. It's not making the driving experience better. It's not saving lives. It's not adding value. It's just shit. Cost. Just adding cost and co and complication. Mm -hmm. Um. Here, I'll keep going through this thing. Why not? Um. I mean, to go with all that, I, we're, we're kind of talking roundabout, but I was like, maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's common sense and personal responsibility that we need, not technology to fill in our little gaps in ability here, because that's what we're seeing. Like, never, does technology ever really make a better driver? I mean, sometimes you can you can get it to a point where it does. I don't know if it makes a better driver. It can make for a better it, driver experience. It can make for faster lap times. But mm -hmm. I don't know if it necessarily makes a more talented, skilled driver. No, probably not. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Does taking responsibility away from the driver ever make a better, more aware driver? I mean, the second you take an ounce of responsibility away and an ounce of needing to pay attention away, that ounce is going to something else. In a mm -hmm. lot of cases, it's going to pick up the phone and, and screw with TikTok or text somebody back or call your friend and gossip about some bullshit, you know, the moms of the school or whatever. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help the driver. It just handicaps them over and over and over again to the point where we're at where we are now where like people literally can't drive i mean the fact the, the problem is that people are just flat out addicted to technology i cannot it is it is incredible how many people i pass on a given day that are just blatantly like when i say on their phone i don't mean having a conversation on their phone i mean like flat out watching videos or, or, or just like doing everything they can to not pay attention to the road. Well, and no matter how good you think you are, like when you multitask, you are not giving 100% to either one of those things that you're doing. Dude, I'm a psychology major. We went deep into this stuff in cognitive psychology. I worked at a racing school and we used to fuck with the teens in the teen driving school and we would talk to them right before we ripped the e-brake up on the skid pad. Because when you talk to them, it, it's just that second of distraction. You have 100% of what you're doing, and then it goes to 90% because somebody's talking in your ear, and you go, wait, what? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it's over. Like, I don't care who you are or how organized you are. Like, multitasking is a fallacy. You can only really do 100% of one thing at one time. People don't understand that. So the cars have gotten so numb and and diluted down and full of tech that people think 
that they can do this stuff. I mean, we don't even have, there's no law. There's laws in Georgia against holding your phone, but there is no law about being just eyeball deep in conversations with, with people over the phone. Like we don't care. We allow that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the shame of it is you're putting people's life in your hand. You know, somebody in a 6,000 pound, whatever it is, Yukon barrels in the back of this Honda beat, there are probably going to be fatalities because of this. Yeah. It, it's just, it's insane that we're going this direction. And instead of owning up to it and going, Hey, we're going down the wrong path here. We go, well, they shouldn't be driving that Honda beat. It's too small. They need something bigger. And then they would have been fine. Like it's, it's just the, the dumbest thinking in the world. And it's absolutely at, at odds with being green. You can't have both. You cannot at this stage in the game have both. If we're going to ease into EV stuff, it only makes sense that we start, I don't know, small. You know, like how are we coming out of the gate with 9,000 pound Hummer EVs? That in and of itself should be enough to make anybody, EV activists or not, go, wait, 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 wait. We're completely, completely off script already here. Like, we need to relook at how we transport, like how we view transportation. If we're going to do this EV thing and we're going to try and, you know, be green and we're going to be good to the earth and, and this stuff creates holes in the earth. So the more battery you make, the bigger the hole gets you need to be minimalist about this you need to change what you're doing you can't be green and be driving seven passenger nine thousand pound vehicles Mm -hmm. and and i understand that at some point those vehicles are necessary there are big families out there so it is a necessity but don't make so many of them to where every household in the world has wants needs one like most people should be driving smaller vehicles at, at the most a sedan kind of thing you know something along the lines of like a let's just call it a tesla model s you know whenever i think of just a standard ev sedan that's kind of where my mind goes is either the three or the s um yeah i mean i don't know man that I, I keep going back to the hummer ev because that thing is just grossly overweight it is it is the epitome of american gluttonous spirit I hate it so much. Everything about that is so anti-environment. It's such a crappy vehicle. And I hate to use that as the example. We always talk about it because it is on the absolute stupid end of the spectrum. But the fact that GMC, GM kind of comes out the gate with that, right? They start this big EV, everyone, everyone, you know, EV. And and that's their big marketing campaign. And they kind of, that's what they go to it immediately shows Jesus Christ. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. we're just going to repeat the same idiotic mistakes that led to 2008 and them getting bailed out in the first place. Yeah. It's absolutely stupid. I'm trying to think of, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going through this article right now to make sure we don't leave anything out. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about how the Honda Beat's not safe, and I was like, duh. But, you know, it's really not safe. Replacing competency with technology. That's what we were just talking about. We're requiring less of drivers and requiring more from the sensors and all the chips that are in them. 
Uh, we're catering to the lowest common denominator. It's kind of like no student left behind, no driver left behind. Like literally, do we not have the balls to say, hey, you don't get a license. You suck at driving. You know what I mean? Like, like why are we not, why is the American and our government's mindset to just keep band-aiding the problem, to make cars have more and more technology to keep drivers safe rather than train drivers to be safe. I mean, in this country, if you know that a stop sign means stop and you can kind of park your car, they literally give you a license. And you can literally go buy that 9,000 pound Hummer EV and go punt somebody in a small Honda B into next month. Like there's no training there. And if we're dealing with cars that are bigger, we should be trained more. If we're dealing with more population, we should be trained more. Um, this stuff just makes sense, but it's not what we're doing. We're just using technology to cover up people's incapability. And then we have political activists that run on that shit and pander to these bleeding heart hypocrites that honestly don't know any better. They just hear nice things. And, and they go with it. You know what I mean? But like, we are not solving problems. We're not solving environmental problems. We're not solving people problems. We're just creating dumber people and, and a whole new set of EV problems. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to the manufacturer side of things, like, I think manufacturers are about to have a real big problem on their hands in terms of how to sell cars. First of all, you have a recession that's basically already here. If, if you don't think it's already here, it's barreling down our throats. But on top of that, all these automotive manufacturers are just dumping billions and billions of dollars into R&D on electric vehicles. Anybody who's smart knows that you pretty much don't buy a first generation of anything that's new tech because it's going to have a lot of issues especially when it's this drastic of a change if it were me i would stay far far away from any of these new evs that are being made right now they need a good five to ten years to work out all the kinks at the same time all of that r d and extra design and, and money is not going into the internal combustion models that they're making right now so they're going to give you the same old bland boring crap and it's probably going to have problems on top of that. So should anybody really be buying a new car right now? Because you're either going to get what's probably going to be a bad problematic EV or a flaccid internal combustion engine vehicle. I mean, what, what do you go with? You know, on top of that, the recession's going to happen. No one's going to be having it as, as much money. Uh, the freaking Federal Reserve is increasing um, interest rates constantly. They're, they're way, way up. The price of cars is way freaking out of control. At what point? I, like, I, I, I feel like we're right there on that tipping point where anybody who has a half a brain is going to go, you know what? I'm out. I'm not buying a new car anytime soon until this kind of starts working itself out. Yeah. I, and I feel like that may actually be a good topic for the next podcast. And I'm kind of glad that we have it on, on record here so we won't forget it. Yeah. Because I noticed a category that I've fallen into, and it's kind of due to corona, I guess. 
um, or kind of part of the fallout? Because you got so much going on in the automotive industry right now. Like, like you had Corona. Now you've got all these fallout problems and 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 getting you know materials to build your cars. It's making the dealers run up the cost of cars, which is pissing people off and running them off. Now interest rates are going up. You've got our government and and European governments telling people what they can and can't drive and what they're going to drive going in the future, which is putting more regulations on the automotive companies, which is running the price up. There's a story with Ford that had to bail out of the autonomy thing to the tune of like two and a half billion dollars. You're paying for that, guys. You don't have to buy an EV to pay for that. If you buy an F-150 or a Mustang, the prices are going up because of these mistakes. Um, nothing is going good for the automotive industry, despite what they're saying. Like it, it is, it is very, very difficult on them. And then you have guys like me that have paid off all my cars, and and I'm not really financially smart. Like if you keep me in a car loan, I might be in that car loan for life, so long as you can keep the payments about the same and maybe just kick out the car loan a couple of years, but get me in a better car. Well, now I've paid off my car. Now I'm out of your system. I don't have a car payment anymore. And it's so much harder to get me back in. And so since Corona and since people haven't been buying cars the normal way, I think a lot of people, two years worth of people, have paid off cars. And now they're going, fudge, man. I mean, my car is fine. It might be five years old or whatever, but it's fine. Why would I get in? To some new version of the car I already have when it's 30% more and the interest rates are up and they're not going to buy. And this is going to cause a major freaking problem. It's going to change potentially the way that Americans even buy and view cars. And that's a scary thought. Like what if, what if people buy, stop buying new cars? I mean, what if it becomes just a thing that the wealthy kind of buy and the middle class just keep their 2007 Chevy truck running because that's possible. I mean, yeah, but the automotive manufacturers can't afford for that to happen. So the good thing is with this scenario, it will eventually force the manufacturers to start making things that we want within the correct price range. So if the government allows it. But a lot of the problem right now, it's no secret that people want a simple, affordable car without all the bullshit in it. And the car companies would make that for us, except the government goes, nope, nope, you can't do that. You got you got to have all this stuff in it. And then it circles back around to we're using technology to try and compensate for the fact that people can't drive anymore. And people can't drive because car companies aren't making cars that are worth driving. They'd rather be on the phone than actually driving. The, it's, a, it's a big cycle of freaking problems. Yeah. I miss the days when engineering skills were saved for the people who wanted to actually make better products. Nowadays, it's not so much about making better products, it's about making safer, compliant products. And that sucks. Yeah, and it's becoming about planned obsolescence, where like, you know, when when we were kids, the mindset of the generations before us that were in the workforce that were making these cars the way that they flexed their muscles and became the best was to make a car that lasted forever. Look at Toyota and Honda of the 80s and 90s. Like they were trying to build the most durable, best, easy to service cars 
that they could possibly make because they wanted to prove that they were the best and that's how you do it. But now the millennial type people that are in the workforce, they don't think like that. They're like, that's stupid. Why would you do that? Like what we need to make is a car that becomes obsolete right as they pay it off. Look at what the cell phone companies do. Replicate that, you know, like that, that's the mentality of these people. And, and, you know, you combine it with the fact that they actually understand very little about the emotions and the intangibles of driving that we understand. And they think that a good car is something that has a lot of connectivity and tech. And we think that a good car is something that disconnects us from the damn world. And that kind of feeds our soul. You know, it's our break. It's our escape. It's so we're just on polar opposite sides of the spectrum here. Yeah, yeah. The the whole idea of a cell phone company style business plan moving into the automotive industry is kind of terrifying. Whenever you think about the shenanigans and crap that the cell phone manufacturers and, and sellers have done, like there was the whole thing a couple of years ago with the iPhone where they were sending out updates to essentially kill the batteries on old phones. Now just imagine they did that something like that on cars whenever they were like, hey, any vehicle, any any EV that's five or six years old, send this out and it'll start basically quickly killing the battery. So then you're you're set with a situation where it's like, okay, well, this car is junk now. You either go buy a new car, which is insanely expensive, or you got to go buy $30,000 battery for this thing, which is also insanely expensive. And it's all because you wanted the ease of connectivity. Because yeah. you connected and- Mark my words, the direction we're going will lead to you finance the car, let's say a Mach-E, for seven damn years, you pay it off just as the battery is taking a shit, you either buy another Mach-E for sixty-five dollars to $80,000, or Ford will let you finance a new battery in your old Mach-E for five years at $2.99 a month. And you have essentially financed your car twice. That's where we're heading. I hate to say I told you so, but watch, man. It's what's going to happen. Side note, maybe another podcast for another day. Did you see that Tesla will not give you your towing software package upgrade unless you buy the Tesla, what is it, little whatever, hitch you know, hitch for your car. So if you go and buy some other approved hitch, but it's not the Tesla hitch, they won't unlock the towing software. That is also the kind of world that we are setting up for ourselves by being freaking idiots. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tesla's been known for pulling crap like that. They want everything in-house. They want everything on the cars to be theirs or mm-hmm. else they get very, very upset about it. And you know what? That's great for people who want to be controlled and don't like to have any say in what goes on with their vehicles. That ain't me. And for all my friends out there who modify cars, I don't think that's them either. And because of that, that car is not an option for me and never will be. It's the Apple mindset. You get them tied into your product and make it impossible for them to go anywhere else for anything else because it's not going to communicate properly. You know, it's just it's not the attitude I want in a car manufacturer. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not, we don't share the same. I don't want to be enslaved to the fucking car manufacturer that I bought my car from. 
I want a car manufacturer to be like, hell yeah, we made you this kick-ass car. Go do whatever the hell you want with it, man. Make it your own. Like, that's all I want. I don't, I, we can freaking end it here. <laughs> I mean, well, before we end it, that, that, that's a good point. I remember when, when I was growing up and every time I would go look at a car to go buy it, you know, the way the dealers would market it to you would be like, yeah, man, the Evo is a great car. Mitsubishi did a really, really good job with it. But this thing is an intake and exhaust and a boost controller away from being a monster. They wanted you to go modify it to make that car the best it could possibly be, to make it what the engineers at Mitsubishi or whoever actually wanted it to be, but weren't quite allowed to. And they mm -hmm. were just like, you know, it's a quick little path, man, quick little modification path. Do it. Make that thing truly awesome. Yeah, remember when all the Japanese cars were limited to 275 miles or horsepower? 276. They were like, yeah, sure, it's 276. By the way, I do this and this, and it's 600. You know, it's just like. And they were all lying about that crap, too, man. There were so many, like, Skylines and Supers and stuff that got on the, the dyno, and all of a sudden it would, like, 330 at the wheel, and they were like, no, I didn't know it did that. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> but it's like the, the freaking Mustang, was it? Who was it? Was it the CEO that came out and was basically saying, yeah, this new S650 is going to be, you know, impossible to unlock. It's like, why would you say that? It's not that much better than the S550. And it seems like the goal would get would be to get people to sell their S550 and buy the 650. But you made essentially the same thing, but harder to unlock. Yeah. Yeah. But you just told everybody who plans on modifying the Mustang. Stick with your S550 until someone figures out how to truly unlock the S650. Dumb. Dumb. All right. Well, yeah, that's our opinion. It's it's freaking dumb. So thanks dumb. for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening to S3 Podcast. Um, we'll be back soon with uh, more irritating things that you guys should know about. Uh, as always, uh, check us out what on our app. Uh, it's available on Android and it's available on Apple. It's under the name S3 Magazine. Should be easy to find. Check it out because like everything we do um, runs through that app. So whether it's a cool feature or just news that you probably should know about or videos or whatever, it's going through there. Uh, if you're not an app person, you can always just check it out on our website, s3mag.com. It's pretty much it, right? That's pretty much it. Thanks for listening, guys. All right. Later.